Thank you for being here today, whether you're here in person or online, I really appreciate you letting us be part of your day. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Rebecca Messenger. Uh, I've been coming to MCC for uh, just over six years. I have a background in youth and women's ministry, and I currently work as a middle school language arts teacher. And no, it's not as scary to teach middle schoolers as you might think. Um, for those of you that do know me, um, and you're wondering, the answer is yes. I do plan to quote C.S. Lewis today, so, but just one time, I promise, if you do too many, it gets too heavy, I get it. Uh, so there is one Lewis reference coming, it wouldn't be me without it. Um, today, I'm going to talk to you about three really big things. Um, first, I'm going to tell you about my favorite, one of my favorite teachers. Um, and then I'm going to tell you about these appointments that you guys all have that maybe you don't know about, but they're already scheduled for you. Then I'm going to tell you about what these appointments mean for you in the here and now. Um, and in the end, I'm going to have a really big ask for you. Okay, for me, for all of us here, whether you're joining us online or in person, I'm gonna have a really big ask. So kind of mentally get us there, right? Um, we are gonna be in Hebrews 9, 26 through 28 today. You're welcome to get there in your Bibles if you want to. I will also have it on the screen so you can look there. And of course, I will read it for you. Um, that's a lot to get done. And I only have about 25 minutes. Um, and so in order to get all of that done in such a short amount of time, um, I'm gonna need a little help from our Father upstairs. And so if you would um, please join me in a little bit of prayer before we get started. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for everybody here today. Thank you for the opportunity to share your word. And I just pray that you would help me to speak clearly um, and that those in attendance would um, have open ears to hear um, your word today as well. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you every day for everything. Um, you're just a wonderful father and we thank you for that. Um, pray these things in your name. Amen. So, like I said, I want to start today by telling you about one of my favorite teachers. Um, we all have them. Right? When we tend to think back on our favorite teachers, we often think about those who were like super relational, right? The ones who were really empathetic and kind and, and they really just got us. And I have those teachers in my life, I do, and I think about them. But one of my favorite teachers um, that I want to tell you about today is not any of those things, was not any of those things. He was my seventh grade math teacher former military, and ran his math class like, like, uh, like a military class, like a military school. He was rigid. He was cold. To, compared to seventh grade me, the dude was a giant, right? Um, super scary and kind of intimidating um, and just amazing, okay? Um, this was Mr. Gerlock. So Mr. Gerlach, um, like I said, was not relational. But the funny thing about him and the reason that he stands out to me in my mind is because it was the first time in my life sitting in his class that I ever felt like I could do math. 
I always, that was my least favorite subject and I hated it. Um, I just, none of the concepts ever stuck. But in his class, I started getting A's. And that made me want to come back again and again and again. I was like, oh, I'm actually really good at this. And um, many of my friends reported the same. Man, what is this? Like, it, we're learning so much. And I actually think that it was due to this one thing that he really liked to do. So being former military, and like I said, he liked to run his classroom like it was a military boot camp. One of the things that he would have us do often is participate in chanting um, so what I mean by this is that he would have us, uh, we would learn a new concept and we would have to repeat this concept over and over and over throughout our lessons each day. So for example, when we were learning about signs, like positive and negative signs, um, and that they, you always put them before the number, right? And so you're learning about positive seven would be plus and then the seven, right? And he really, really, really wanted to sink in that that's how it goes. And so um, multiple times throughout the class period, he would have us chant signs first, signs first, signs first. And um, like before attendance was one of them or during an attendance, he would call your name and instead of saying here, you would have to chant. So he would say, Rebecca, and I'd say, signs first, signs first, signs first. And then not only would I say it, but then I would hear everybody throughout our role, right? They would all have to say it as well. And then when we were being dismissed, we couldn't leave until the whole class in unison said, signs first, signs first, signs first. He did this for weeks at a time. He would teach us a concept and then repeat, 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 like multiple times for weeks. And then he'd add on and we'd have something new to repeat and he'd add on and we'd add on to our repetitions every time. And by the end, we're repeating like a whole sentence sometimes, right? Um, and that was how he did it. But I will tell you something is that like, so we would leave and we were like, that guy's weird, right? Like that's... What is like, and we would joke about it, and we, it's whatever. But then we'd get to that test, and you know where I put my sign? I put it first. And to this day, I still remember, right? Mr. Gerlach's lessons still have an impact. Um, I joked about it then, and I joke about it now. Um, and I didn't understand it then, but as a teacher, right? Not that I ask my students to chant very often or at all, and, you know, because I don't want to necessarily be the weird teacher, although sometimes you can't help it. Um, I'm weird for other reasons. Um, but I totally understand why he did it. There's power in repetition. So when we want to learn something new, our brains need to interact with this new knowledge more than just a couple of times in order for it to sink in. Repetition helps things stick. Mr. Gerlach knew this well, and he utilized it sometimes probably too much. But biblical writers also understood this about our learning. When I went to Bible school in my 20s, one of the things that my professors really stressed out to me when I was uh, stressed to me when I was in um, my biblical classes was to look for things that repeat, whether they're words or phrases, because those things are never on accident, okay? 
When biblical writers repeat words and phrases, they do it because these are things we're supposed to come back to again and again and again. These are things that we need to learn deeply. Now, when Sean first told me that I would be preaching on this section of scripture today, um, one of the first things I did was I sat down and I thought, I'm going to read Hebrews all the way through just to kind of like get that context, get everything. And so I sat down and I read through and I've got to say that when I got to the end, I sat there and I thought to myself, I think Mr. Gerlach wrote this book. There's a lot of repetition, right? If you've been here for the last few weeks, you have heard over and over and over again that Christ is better, that Christ is higher, that Christ is superior to the old ways. It's been on repeat, okay? In today's scripture, there's gonna be a repeat, okay? And, I, and I'm gonna read it to you, like I said, in a minute, I'll, I'll put it on the screen. And I want you to see, as we read it the first time, if you've been with us, see if you can spot the repeat that's happening in today's chunk of scripture, okay? So, um, Hebrews 9, 26 through 28, again, is what we're reading, and this is what it says. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it's appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Okay, so did you, did you pick it up? I know it's kind of early. For, I'm an 11 a.m. person, and it, for what it's worth, that's still early on a Sunday. I get it. Well, just in case, um, if you're not quite sure what the repeat is, I want to take us back to a few weeks ago. Um, Barbie gave this wonderful sermon on Hebrews 7.27, and here's what it says. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered himself up. So, repeat here did you if you didn't pick it up it's that offering of himself right um, he has no need he did this once right not many times um, just once and for all Christ's sacrifice unlike the sacrifices from priests needed only to happen once. This is our big concept. This is our repeat. This is the thing that our great teacher wants to stress to us. But there's a second part to the scripture that we're reading today. In fact, he doesn't just get into the what and that repetition. He actually gets into the why, into that larger, bigger thing, the reason that we need to understand this once and for all scripture, this once and for all line, okay? So in our text today, um, the big why is that our author fills us in that we all have those three appointments to keep. There's three things that all of us must face, no matter who you are or where you're from, three inescapable things 
The first two come in verse 27. It says that just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. I went too far. There we go. So ending here. Okay? So after, just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So your first appointment listed makes me uncomfortable. And it makes a lot of people uncomfortable, I think. And that's that we are all going to die. And the reason that this is an uncomfortable reality is that we weren't created for that. We were created with eternity set in our hearts. We were designed at our core to live forever, to love our creator forever. However, what God designed, uh, desired from those first humans and what he desires from us now is a real relationship built on love. And that's not something that can be forced. He couldn't just design us that way. He had to give us a choice. Real love always comes through choice. God gave the first humans a choice, just as he gives all of us a choice, and they chose sin. They chose the other way. When they did this, sin entered the world, and so did illness and destruction, and yes, death. And now all of us are born into this sin nature, which means that we all will face death as well. And so within us, we have this weird dichotomy. We have this need to live with God forever, right? We were built that way, and yet we will face death. So that's our first appointment, unfortunately. Our second appointment comes just after that in verse 27. After this comes judgment. The Bible is very clear that all of us will face judgment. It's for everyone. And again, this should give us some pause because not one of us, not you, not me, can pass this judgment on our own. And no amount of good works or moral living can help us because what's needed to enter the presence of God is perfection and not a one of us as much as we try, can ever attain that in this life. We just can't. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So try as we may, we cannot overcome sin entirely in this life. In fact, one of my favorite uh, verses from the Apostle Paul, he actually uh, goes on a rant at one point on like, why do I do the things that I do? I know that it's wrong and I do it anyway. And that was the Apostle Paul. Dude wrote like a lot of the scripture that we read, right? And he struggled with it. So it's natural that we do too, right? We can't do it no matter how hard we try. C.S. Lewis, here it is, put it this way. This is the fix we're in. If the universe is not governed by an absolute goodness, then all of our efforts are in the long run hopeless. But if it is, then we're making ourselves enemies to that goodness every day and are not in the least likely to do any better tomorrow. And so our case is hopeless again. God is the only comfort. He is also the supreme terror. 
the thing we most need and the thing we most want to hide from. He is our only possible ally and we have made ourselves his enemies. That's the bad news. Our first two appointments, all of us are gonna die and all of us will face a judgment that we fall short of. Thankfully, our good teacher doesn't leave us in this blank, bleak space. So there's actually two pieces of good news embedded within this text as well. So starting in verse 28, it says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So our first piece of good news is that while we can't be perfect, Christ is. In his human form, Christ lived the flawless existence that none of us could. He was spotless, but in his love for, him, of, uh, his love for us, he took all of our faults upon himself. So Isaiah, oops, there's Romans. Um, Isaiah 53.5 says that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and, without his, and with his wounds, we are healed. This was not for him. He didn't need to face that. He did this for us. Okay? So what does that look like? Because it's one thing to read the scripture, but it's another thing to sit here and go, yeah, yeah, we know. And I want to read this um, excerpt uh, from a book that's meant a lot to me. So as we think about what this actually looks like for God to take on our sins, there's this book by Johnny Erickson Tata called When God Weeps. And she actually, it's it's been a foundational book for me um, as a believer and in my walk with God. And she does this fantastic job of painting us the real picture of what it looks like for God to take on all the sin. Okay. And so I want to read this to you, and then uh, we'll keep going. But uh, she wrote, The face that Moses had begged to see, was forbidden to see, was slapped bloody. The thorns that God had sent to curse the earth's rebellion now twisted around his brow. On your back with you, one raises a mallet to sink the spike but the soldier's heart must continue pumping as he readies the prisoner's wrist. Someone must sustain the soldier's life minute by minute, for no man has this power on his own. Who supplies the breath to his lungs? Who gives energy to his cells? Who holds his molecules together? Only by the sun do all things hold together. So the victim wills that soldier to live on. He grants the warrior's continued existence. The man swings. As the man swings, the son recalls how he and the father first designed the medial nerve of the human forearm, the sensations it will be capable of. The design proves flawless. The nerves perform exquisitely. Up you go. They lift the cross and God is on display and can scarcely breathe. 
But these pains are a mere warm-up to his other and growing dread. He begins to feel a foreign sensation. Somewhere during this day, an unearthly foul odor began to waft, but not around his nose, in his heart. He feels dirty. Human wickedness starts to crawl upon his spotless being, the living excrement from our souls. The apple of his father's eye turns brown with rot. His father. He must face his father this way. From heaven, the father now rouses himself like a lion disturbed, shakes his mane and roars the the shriveling remnant of a man hanging on a cross. Never has the son seen the father look at him so. Never felt the least of his hot breath, but the roar shakes the unseen world and darkens the visible sky. The sun does not recognize these eyes. Son of man, why have you behaved so? You have cheated, lusted, stolen, gossiped, murdered, envied, hated, lied. You have cursed, robbed, overspent, overeaten, fornicated, disobeyed, embezzled, and blasphemed. Oh, the duties you've shirked, the children you've abandoned. Who has ever ignored the poor, so played the coward, so belittled my name? Have you ever held a razor tongue? What a self-righteous, pitiful drunk, you peddler of killer drugs. You travel in cliques and mock your parents. You gave the boldness to rig, you have the boldness to rig elections, foment uh, revolutions, torture animals, and worship demons. Does the list never end? You have burned down buildings, perfected terrorist attacks, founded false religions, traded in slaves, relishing in each morsel and bragging about it. I hate, I loathe these things in you. Disgust for everything about them consumes me. Can you not feel my wrath? Of course, the son is innocent. He is blameless itself. The father knows this, but the divine pair have an agreement, and the unthinkable must now take place. Jesus will be treated as if personally responsible for every sin ever committed. The father watches as his heart's treasure, the mirror image of himself, sinks drowning into raw, liquid sin. Jehovah's stored rage against humankind from every century explodes in a single direction. Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? But heaven stops his ears. The sun stares up at the one who cannot, who will not reach down or reply. The Trinity had planned it. The sun had endured it. The Spirit enabled him. The Father rejected the Son whom he loved. Jesus, the God-man from Nazareth, perished. The Father accepted his sacrifice for sin and was satisfied. The rescue was accomplished. The good news is that for God so loved us, all of us, He sent his son to live the perfect life that we couldn't, 
to take our sin and to die once and for all of us. If you're in Christ, the good news here is that the judgment for you, that second appointment, it already happened. It happened on the day that Christ died for you. Which leads me, in verse 28, to the second part of this. We read that the, set, that the same Christ who took your place will appear a second time for salvation. In other words, he's not coming to put sin away a second time. He already did that. He put it away once and for all. No, he's coming to appear to those who eagerly await his return. This is your third and final appointment. Death is coming. Judgment is coming. But so is Christ. For you see, he did die on the cross that day, but the grave couldn't hold him. He rose, and he's coming back for you. This is our why. This is why the author spends so much time repeating again and again, over and over, that Christ is higher, that Christ is better, that Christ is superior to the old ways. We need to understand this. We need to understand that he died for you once and for all because our eternity depends on it. We need to get that. That's why it's on repeat. Our eternity depends on it. Now, here's the temptation that I get sometimes when I read scripture. Um, one of the things that I really like to do is I like to go back and look at the original meaning and what it was originally written for. And that's all really good to do. But sometimes we're tempted to look at this and say, this is just a call back to the believers at that time. They were struggling, they were facing persecution, and they were not really like embracing what they could embrace. And um, it was that. This book was that. But it's also a call for us now. We also need to pause and ask ourselves what we're putting ahead of Christ, what we've deemed superior to Christ, what old things are we clinging to that we need to let go of in order to enter into that deep relationship that Christ wants with you. Maybe there's some of us here today who haven't made that leap of faith yet. You've been trying really hard to be a really good person, to earn your salvation, but you're realizing that you can't keep it up. It's exhausting. And like I mentioned before, you're not alone. Even the Apostle Paul admits that it's exhausting. We can't do it on our own. And maybe it's time that you embraced what Christ had to offer. And maybe that's your first time today. And if so, awesome. I hope you do. But maybe you're here today and you have made that leap. And there are old habits and rituals keeping you from the fullness of God's promise. Maybe you've been stuck. Like Sean mentioned in the past few weeks, sometimes we try to cling to things that are good things. Sometimes God-given things, but we cling to the things instead of to God himself. And sometimes we need that reminder to let go of those things and to step boldly into what God is actually calling us to do. So here's my big ask. 
right? I, I told you guys at the beginning, I'm going to ask something really big of you, whether you're here in person, whether you're online, and this is for me too. Wherever you are in your journey, whether you're thinking about making that leap of faith, or you've been a believer for a really long time, or maybe a little time, wherever you are, I want to encourage you today to step forward into the call, to embrace the gift and let go of the things that are holding you back from that. That's what God wants for you, is that relationship. The truth is we all have these three appointments. We all have to keep them. Not one of us is exempt. And so we need to do this desperately. We need to understand on repeat Christ is better. Christ is higher. He is superior to all of our attempts, to all of our traditions, to everything. And he's offering you a new kind of freedom, purchased with his own blood, so that you too can celebrate his coming. This is our big why. This is the great thing right in front of us. And so I hope that you will join me.